zero zero zero. Welcome to the Preparing for Life podcast, hosted by me, Jim, and my friend Sean. We are here to build a community encouraging one another to live intentionally. Jim, you were on a podcast, Still Unbelievable, and it was a great discussion on guns from the perspective of yours, which is your belief of fundamental right to carry and own firearms versus a guy from Britain and a guy from Georgia. I think so. Yeah, he's, he's uh, Andrew's here in the States. Yeah. Matthew is the uh, British guy. And so, I, man, I... I was listening to that. It was just great. I'm not going to go over all this stuff because it's it's just so much. But the biggest thing that this debate could go on forever and ever and ever. I just didn't like how I understand what he's saying that when it comes to something like drunk driving or mental health, it's we don't make it as hyperbolic, as extreme when it comes to people who are more willing to give up rights. His example was that we're willing to give Matthew said he thought it was crazy because you explained like here in the States, I mean, it's state by state. After three DUIs, you're out. Over there, it's one. You lose your car. <laughs> and and he was befuddled by that, which rightfully so. You know, it's just he didn't know. And that seems crazy to him. But my thought was is just because you lose the right to drive a car is not the same as the right to travel. Mm-hmm. You still have that fundamental right that you could drive, get in a bus, with somebody else in a car you could walk ride a bike get on an airplane you've only had one aspect of that liberty the right to travel taken away you had many other options to still get around whereas when it comes to the right to self-defense once you take the gun away it's done you you have very little recourse at that point that's like the bot like not the bottom of the barrel the um the pinnacle piece of the right to self-defense is when you can take away your because it's not just the ability of a firearm it's your right to defend yourself which then means you know okay a stick a gun (laughs) a car because there's rioters coming at you so i just thought that was uh, i'm sure there's a fallacy there somewhere overall though i thought it was a really good discussion i mean matthew even agreed if he had that ability and he was in the adverse situation where his life was threatened, he would want the ultimate deciding factor, I think he said, like a gun. That's all I'll say, because this that could be like a four-hour discussion on just... <laughs> yeah, and he said a couple times that he feels safer knowing that there's not a likelihood of yeah. other people, including police. Normalcy bias is the first not, thing that came to mind. Not having guns. My point was... It's not the guns, it's the behavior, whether or not it's a, a sharp uh, knife. And then he went into like the UK's knife laws, but you know, they still have knife violence over there, uh, even though the government's doing their best to, to try to curb that by making certain knives uh, where you can and can't use them. He went down a good list of interest mitigation techniques, but it's still the fact remains that humanity, whether you believe in God or just nature, um, there's propensity for violence in a certain portion of the population. And that that's, as far as we can see, never going to be taken away. And, you know, even if you do live in the perfect u- utopian society, you still have another country or you still have animals <laughs> that uh, wanted to do you harm. I think that was an example of tyranny. I can't remember if I, I listed it podcast or if it was just in my notes and I forgot to mention it. You know, another form of tyranny is when your government fails to protect you. Yeah. 
uh, and we see a lot of that. You know, he used the example of Rodney King beating mm -hmm. uh, back in the 80s. And I was screaming, it's like, rooftop Koreans, I know, rooftop I, I didn't think about that <laughs> until afterwards. I, that's exactly <laughs> what I wish I had said was, um, that's a perfect example of the government losing and we have Kenosha, Wisconsin. The police had cordoned off an area and said, oh, you can go riot, do whatever you want there. We're not going to be there. Property owners were then hiring uh, private security to protect their property. The police were not there, were not able to respond. There was no 911 EMS service. I mean, it was all intents and purposes a third world country. Yeah. That's an example of tyranny that happens where the government intentionally drew from a situation, leaving the citizens. And they're allowing that to happen. Yeah, not and as a society, we enter this compact of laws and structure and there is level of support from your government that's expected and then when they decide oh i'm just going to leave this zone this area or whatever it might be like in seattle with the responsibility for your safety and others falls back somewhere and that that's the individual at the at the end of the day because it's like going back to we get the government that we deserve the reason why they don't go and help in many situations, whether it's a natural disaster with their lack of help or... I have to think on this long and long and hard because I think there's a, the idea of human propensity for... I don't like calling it evil. I'll end it there because I, I just can't think about it. There's so many aspects. <laughs> anyway, so I thought it was... Even still, I think the show was good. It brought difference of opinion together. Uh, it brought somebody from kind of three sides, because it seemed like uh, Andrew was still a gun lover, <laughs> um, just is looking at it more from an echo chamber, maybe because of talking to Matthew on such a consistent basis on these things. Um, but all three sides, I think, came out with a better perspective in the end. Instead of what we have in today's society is echo chambers, yeah. um, social media, although not anonymity, but close to it, you would say something on Facebook or Twitter that you would never say to somebody's face. X. Sorry. <laughs> At least I didn't say <laughs> formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> I intentionally tried to go very moderate in my approach and keeping it personal safety, personal responsibility, because I think that's something that anybody can relate to, relate to regardless of your politics. I mean, we all want to feel safe and to try to debunk that just because I choose to have a gun doesn't mean that there's somebody else who doesn't want to have a gun is any less safe. Final thing on it, using fear as a, uh, I'll have to try and remember this for some other time because I can't find it quickly. Are you talking about when they were bringing up the, you know, what are you afraid of that you need a gun? Yeah, but using that, because I looked it up, fear argument, uh, appealing to fear fallacy is what it was called. I don't know what that is. Fear is, <laughs> I said, fear is freedom, you pigs in human clothing. <laughs> yes, I asked. <laughs> uh, it's not about appeal appealing to fear, it's about my right to life. Many people will use something like, well, it's dangerous in the city, so I should have to have a gun, like as an appealing to somebody's fear. They use it with climate change, they use it with the COVID stuff it's it's appealing to somebody's fear to prove your argument that's not a a fact that changes the situation you can be as fe as fearful as you want 
doesn't mean that you're going to get struck by lightning or the plane's going to crash just because you're afraid of it. That's a good point. Um, okay, do you want to go on to news stories or is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, uh, we had said last time, to, and of yeah. course I don't have any notes of what we did. Um, yeah, I feel what we had said, like try and prepare for, yeah. and with the holiday season, everything seems to get pushed to the sidelines. Yeah, we had family over last week, and I think we were just talking about like how to prepare for house fire, getting important papers, having a 72-hour bag stored at each other's house. Smoke detectors are up to date, fire extinguisher, at least in your bedroom, two or three other places around the house. Do you have a copy of your insurance policies somewhere else? You don't even know your insurance company's name and number. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've been meaning to make a, I, I started them but never finished them. A, yeah. a list of contacts and laminate it and then throw it a bunch of copies in different places. Ultimately, I'd want a, a post office safe deposit box, but I think what I'm going to do for right now is just go buy a cheap lock box and put that kind of stuff in it. Nothing super secure. Leave one of them at your house because then that way it's somewhere else. If I had to come sleep in your, your basement because my house burned down, I know I probably could. Yeah, we have a little, well, we have a gun safe and a little fire safe yeah. for, for documents. Do you want me to start? Uh, either or. I got a bunch of stuff. So one of the things that came up in that topic, which I think we can kind of branch out on, is training classes. I'm not a big fan of government-mandated training classes, but I st still think that training is a really good idea. But I've had two classes. One was to get my Utah permit. There's a mandated course you have to take, which was very educational. It was very good. The guy who taught it was a uh, ex-sheriff's uh, deputy, and he did a really good job of like how to handle law enforcement officer encounters if you're lawfully carrying. Like, yeah. The training was good. It was all classroom, but very well taught. The other one I had was for my Florida permit, which I never filed the paperwork for, but I did take the training for it. And it was taught by this guy, police officers and, and SWAT teams and stuff. So he had a, a very different kind of style of approach. I really appreciated that class as well. But I don't know, uh, what kind of training have you had and then how often should we refresh it? Zero, zero, zero. I mean, I have had no formal training, uh, which is not good but not bad because to get to the gun debate another time, um, yeah, that's that's a sticking point for me is, is training necessary? I think it is good, but is it necessary if it's a right and then there's a requirement for that right? Is it still a right? It is, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about legally like government yeah. should prevent you from. I think that the case in New York right now is doing a good job of dismantling that argument. Yeah, I do think it is very important, yeah. though, to have training, but I have not other than self-training. I guess if you could call that watching YouTube videos, dry fire training, um, going to the range. There was a guy for a while that was from Freedom Armory, which is semi-locally. We went to his house twice, and he was not certified to train or anything, but he knew a lot and, and taught us a lot about firearms the two times that we were there for shooting didn't really have enough time because he had a weird schedule i will check into that some more because i think what i like about the idea of training and having training is the different perspectives yeah. like you had two different people from two different perspectives just to give you those aha moments where it's like oh i didn't think about that now i have to reincorporate that into my thought process and my 
worldview of how I think about this tool. So how's your water situation? I have four 50 gallon barrels. I just opened them and let drain. Well, I just winterized my camper. Yeah. And so they make a food safe antifreeze that you put into your water system. Your really? Camper. I hope I did that correctly. So I might try to get that for my water barrels in the winter. Didn't really use them for water. The idea was to water the garden with them, and I maybe we used it once or twice. Yeah. So I'm sure it saved me a few bucks, but I haven't recouped my costs on it. So maybe next year, hopefully, they survive the winter. So the Municipality Water Authority of Apequa revealed Saturday, so this was back on November 27th, that one of their booster stations had been hacked and partially controlled by a cyber guerrilla group tied to the Iranian government. Shut down water supply pump. The system is called Unitronics that they were using. Uh, one of the people, Mott, I think, from the water department, this pump has its own computer network separate from the primary network and is physically miles away. The reason why I brought it up is we have a great redundancy in our systems. The just-in-time system has worked pretty darn well for the past 70 years, but it's becoming more fragile, I think, with because people are starting to offload their task to make the task easier by offloading it to computer systems, but then they have new vulnerabilities. To just be prepared for that, you know, I have probably 100 gallons of water sitting in the basement if I need it, and then I have three 50-gallon drums that I can fill if I need to. You live at the very end of our water system where you have very low water pressure because you're, you're starting to go back up a hill. Let's say there's 10 pumps for Hanover, and this was just one up there that they took out. I mean, you'd have no water. And what do you do? Yeah. Earlier this year, I got one of those gravity-fed ceramic-based water systems. My wife's a uh, brewer, so she brews beer at home. For a while there, we were buying these four-gallon water jugs at the grocery store. We kept the jugs. I found replacement caps for them. I had been sanitizing them and then running the water through my drip system. <clears throat> And then I have those for drinking. So what's that? Four, eight. I think I have 12 of them. 12 times four, 48 gallons. That should last us at least two or three weeks if that's all we had. Now, of course, the reason why I went with the uh, the water filter that I did was it doesn't rely on electricity. It doesn't rely yeah. on the pressure. A lot of people get these inline uh, osmosis reverse osmosis filters for their house, which is great. But like you said, if there's a, a problem with the pressure from the utility system, filter does not help out. One advantage of, of having a house on top of a hill is that I'm also last on the line for failure for a sewer system. We could pump a lot. Yeah, of I'm, I'm probably first in line. Because <laughs> yeah, you're kind of at the bottom of it here. <laughs> Just to flush the toilets, uh, I could take water from my rain barrels, bucket it into the toilet, which doesn't require pressure. We do live near a lake. So if I had to long-term, I could go down there and bucket water up. Whenever I think of the type of little disasters that could happen in life, something's better than nothing. Because people are so reliant today on that just-in-time system to that if you at least have a little bit of a backup, you're going to be a little more comfortable and then be able to weather the, the normal storms that happen, whether it's a power outage or the water gets shut off. Yeah, at our last house, so we moved to Pennsylvania in 2019. Our last house, though, was out in rural Maryland where well water 
I didn't have a generator big enough to run the well, we would have been out. We, we have been out of power there for multiple days. You know, without water, the big problem there is not having the ability to flush the toilet. That makes the house pretty unlivable pretty quick. Well, you, I mean, you, you were able to still flush the toilets because you still had a septic tank, correct? Well, right. We could dump it into the septic yeah, tank, it's but just then they don't have the water to fill back into the oh, toilet. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Problem, yes. I, 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 now I'm picking up what you're putting down because yeah. I was like, wait, you could still put <laughs> water in the back of the yeah. tank, but you didn't have water. Water is contaminated or what was it? Uh, a couple of years ago, you said your water was coming out brown. Yeah. Rusted brown or something. Well, it usually, it usually does happen here for a little bit because they flush all the hydrants in the area. But this was over the course of like a week and it wasn't during the time in the summer when they flushed the, the hydrants. And it's like, I'm not drinking that. I'm not cooking with that. So luckily we had our, our Berkey filter that we could filter water. And, it, you know, after about a week, it went away. But it makes me wonder about the testing of that stuff. They do send out a report once a year because I went on their Facebook page and complained. But the, the boroughs and other people said that they were having the same problem, but nothing was done. I mean, what what could they do? I mean, wh- yeah. what are they going st- to uh, More than likely, they're not going to put out a report like, oh, don't drink your water for the next six weeks. So I, I don't know. I just like to have a little bit of cushion that way. If something like that happens, then I can still keep moving forward because there's so many other problems. Like if, sorry, tangent here, you're living life and something happens and you got to figure out the problem, whether it's the car wreck or the whatever. It's nice to know that if then another problem comes along on top of that, if it starts to become compounding, you have other areas that are semi-covered, whether it's financially having a good financial plan, whether it's having all your ducks in a row with your paperwork and it's it's and then for us like we have our our gravity fed water filter right there on the counter in our kitchen it's just become a natural part of our day like that's what i fill my coffee maker up with i drink from it on a daily basis i fill it back up throughout the day like it's a normal thing now it's not something I only use in emergencies. This is something I got from another podcast uh, called uh, Trailer Park Homesteaders. <laughs> you know, it just goes to show, you know, you don't have to have a huge farm or whatever. You know, this is, this is a, a, I think it was a, a lady in our family. I can't remember exactly her situation. She just shared about how they tried to live this intentional life in a trailer park. I don't know if they're still there. This is a long time ago. I listened to this podcast. My big takeaway from that was she said you have to live part of this prepping lifestyle, not just keep it on the side for emergencies, but rotate through your canned goods, your water, all this stuff. Regularly make your own food. Gardening, I mean, even if it's just a one pot with a, with a tomato plant growing out of it, do something on a regular basis. Make it part of your regular lifestyle so that when these things come up, it's like, oh, no big deal. Yeah, life I've hasn't gotta, changed. You got to go to work. And now not only that, you got to find water to flush the toilet, to do this, to do that. It's just so much extra stuff. Or cooking your meals on a regular basis instead of eating out all the time. You incorporate these things into your life and it's not prepping anymore. It's just life. Yeah. Past two or three years when you mentioned the just-in-time supply chain problems. And you know, we saw that as you go to the grocery store sometimes and there wouldn't be any toilet paper. There wouldn't be any uh, of particular produce that you wanted. So we've started keeping a lot of stuff in the basement called our prepper shelf where an unopened thing of toilet paper... And when we run out upstairs, I go get this and I put it on the list to get next time. So it's like that becomes my store. 
all the stories I have <laughs> revolve fine. around crime because that's what was on my mind this week. So back in December 8th, there was a man charged with uh, bringing knives to Guts factory. Former employee who was fired. Man was uh, in his mid-20s, fired two days earlier, had some kind of uh, psychotic event as a result. Six employees ended up subduing him until the police arrived. You know, the police are minutes away when seconds count. So the takeaway for me here was be situationally aware. Violence can and does happen uh, anywhere. You don't have to psychoanalyze everybody you pass, but, you know, I'm sure somebody, the way they described this kid when they found him was he, he was pretty, like, sobbing. He wasn't just him going in there to commit crime. He he just... He had ill intent towards other individuals. Yeah, but it was clearly an emotional event. So maybe somebody could have seen him having a problems, you know, as he was entering the building and said, you know, hey, you know, are you okay? You know, what's going on? You don't have to get in everybody's business, but... um, Well, I'd like to know because there's a strange phenomenon that that I'm not smart enough or have enough knowledge to, to understand. What people experienced at different time periods probably feels the pinnacle of civilization or the most dire thing that's happening. But when you take a, what do they call it, the thousand foot view, um, Mm -hmm. take a step back and look at it, you can compare and contrast. But why I'm talking about that is when did it become, I think it's part of the answer to social media, that people don't speak out because that was part of the the podcast that you were on that you guys were kind of hitting home about the, the idea of mental mental health mental health was it ever that people spoke out about it when somebody at work was having an issue and they took it up to their bosses or maybe to if they knew their family that they went to the family members and talked to them was that something that existed or not and if it did exist what changed in society that now Instead, people hold cameras and watch the violence happen instead of stepping in and stopping the violence. Or it might not be violence. It might be theft. It might be. And stepping in could be going to that guy or the individual that seems to be having an issue and having the hard conversation with them to say, hey, do you need some help, man? I don't know if it ever happens because I'm lucky and surrounded by stable individuals. (laughs) I mean, my wife talks about it at her work with some of the people that seem to be a little unstable. And she's pretty close to most of the people and they respect her and she's able to talk to them. And for the most part, there's no issues. But do you have another article? Yeah. So some new laws in PA for this year because it's the end of the year and they like to do those wrap up stories of these are the things, you know, the top 10 things. I tried to look for that, like the top 20 stories in 2023. Um, I'll just kind of go over them briefly. The these So there was a long list. There'll be a link eventually in the show notes to the actual article, but I picked out the ones that kind of popped to me that was like, okay, probation reform will create more fairness in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania's criminal justice system, ensuring probation service as a tool to help Pennsylvanians re-enter their communities and pave the way for more Pennsylvanians to get second chances. That's a topic that I would really like to discuss at some point when somebody commits a crime and they've done the time, why is it that now we have issues with those people being able to readjust back into society? Porch piracy is now a felony in Pennsylvania. There's now lower fitness requirements for prospective police officers. Currently, police academy applicants are required to score no, no lower than a 30 percentile that includes long and short distance runs, bench press, sit-ups. The new law reduces their 
requirements so that the applicant only has to score in the 15th percentile for these evaluations. Just reading that would make it sound like, oh my gosh, the standard went from the 30th to the 15th. That's just for the applicants to be considered when they actually go to become a police officer. The percentile is still 30%. Is that too low? I don't know. <laughs> um, transitioning military medics to civil EMT paramedics. The reason why this one popped out to me was apparently their credentials from the military don't transfer over into civilian life. So they're now making it that training would be considered so that they could become EMTs and paramedics. I would have thought if anybody probably has, except for somebody that's been on the job for 20 years, I would think military training would be some pretty high bar uh, paramedic stuff that why wouldn't you consider that for those jobs? My understanding for that is the military is interested in training you so that you can function in the military. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas there are civilian standards that like insurance companies and law, okay. civilian law that makes requires. Sense. Well, hopefully this will make it easier <clears throat> yeah. that the whatever training they do have crosses over that then they can get the supplemental training so that it's easier for them yeah. to to become EMTs and paramedics because it's that is an absolute thankless job from the guys that yeah. I've talked to about it. I mean, they don't get paid well. No, and there's burnout and yeah. stuff they see. Um, the last one, just so everybody's aware, automatic voter registration. If you renew your driver's license in Pennsylvania, you can automatically be registered to vote. Though you have the choice to opt out of being registered. There's a big long list of stuff, but most of it kind of seemed, I wouldn't say frivolous, but it, it's just the reason why it stuck with me and I wanted to bring it up on the show is laws change on a consistent basis and we, we don't really pay attention to it. We go about our life yeah. and then all of a sudden things happen and then you didn't even either know you were committing a crime or you didn't know that there was this loophole, I don't even call it loophole, but sort of like with the paramedics, I mean, I never knew that that was a problem for the military vets. Well, I mean, you know, and then you brought up the porch piracy is now a felony, so I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, you could you could go to probably California and do it, and they'll just let you go because anything under like a thousand dollars, it's fine. Well, and that brings me to my next story in Pleasant Hill, California. I think it's near San Francisco. On December 13th, a jewelry store owner thwarts a robbery. At least four thieves were armed. One of them looks like they had a sledgehammer, tried to rob a jewelry store. Prior to this, a woman on a cell phone walked around the store, told robbers about where everybody was and where the cameras were. She left and then they came running in. They had a store camera on the outside there, so you could see she was definitely involved. They came in, store employee had a 38 revolver and started shooting at them. <laughs> And I don't think any of them were hit, but they realized that they left the toaster on at home and, and they got out of there real quick. They left the store. They climbed into a stolen vehicle. Right as they did that, the police came in. They drove off in their stolen vehicle and the police were not able to catch them. Opening line from the reporter on this was, quote, criminals don't expect to stare down the barrel of a gun when committing a crime. It says a lot. Therein lies the problem. <laughs> So they interviewed the employee who pulled the revolver on the end. He says, there's been similar incidents at the store. And at the very end, the owner is quoted saying, if you don't fight for yourself, nobody will. You could see in the video, the car was uh, reported stolen and had triggered tag reader. And so the 
cop was coming in and, and somehow they got away. And he had some kind of malfunction with his gun. I don't think the revolver was cycling. He was shooting and then manually operating the uh, recycling of the uh, of the hmm. revolver at the same time. And he had the wherewithal to do all that. So I think it's another good example to practice with your gun. There's something called snap caps, which simulate triggering mechanism. So you can put those in your gun, double check it that they're not real bullets. And then you can sit there while you're watching TV and just cycle your gun. Another thing I've heard of people doing is if you go to the range with somebody, have them load your gun and then load one of these snap caps into your magazine at random. And so you go and shoot, and then when you hit that snap cap, you're, it's not a, there's no explosive in there, so it just clicks. And then you get to see how fast it is you respond, like how fast is your brain, because you, know, you may be shooting three, four, five times your brain gets into this this rhythm of, okay, this is what I expect next. You're focusing on, on putting that target in the bullseye. So your brain then needs to be thinking, okay, you know, if there's a malfunction, what can I do? And then can I clear it? But what if the next one's a malfunction? Clear that as well without thinking about it. It's a muscle memory. It's interesting in terms of what was his quote kind of at the end. Uh, if you don't fight for yourself, nobody will. And that's a quote right from the article. That's uh not Americanism right there. (laughs) (laughs) He lived intentionally. He had a gun. He was uh, well-practiced with it, even though it seemed to have a malfunction. He took care of his business. It's interesting how most of the world looks at things one way, it seems, and then there's the American version. It's a good juxtaposition to see that because you'll see many times that a foreigner, quote unquote, you know, somebody from another country that is not naturalized or born in the United States, they come here for specific reasons. And it's that right to take care of yourself, to do the things that you want to do and not be taken care of by somebody else. And I think that's a fundamental difference for many people in the United States that for some reason there's this click in many Americans' minds, a mental shift, I don't know what to call it, where some adverse set of circumstances happen or you're brought up understanding taught that type of mentality that not all the time can I be dependent on the rest of the world. There are times and many times that not only will I have to depend on myself, but in fact, it might be better for me to many times depend on myself so I can control the outcomes of these situations. Yes. One more story. I'm surprised you didn't get this one. So the Chesnian Republic mass shooting you hear about? I have not, no. Student opened fire at a Prague University, killing 14, injuring 20 others. Earlier that day, they said he killed his father. Usually they say allegedly or something like that. But they're saying that he killed his father earlier that day. And then he's suspected of killing another man and his two-month-old daughter on December 15th. So this happened on the 21st. So six days before, he'd killed two other people, allegedly, and then he went that morning on the 21st, killed his father, and then went to his school, went into one of the classrooms, and apparently there was like a balcony he could get to, and he then just opened fire on the classroom. The chief of police described him as an excellent student with no criminal record. Wow. No indication that has anything to do with international terrorism. Another person said it's a horrible crime, something that the Chechen Republic 
has never experienced this person. This is a different person, not the police chief yeah. that said that. But then the NDR article, they said previously in 2015, their, their worst mass shooting was eight people. The politics get involved and somebody sits there as soon as the end of, or when, a, when an incident happens and they're like, oh, this is the worst thing ever. I'm not saying that it's not awful. I just hate when they both sides politicize yeah. when these events happen because it's not, it's left and right that start to just you know, jump on it like wolves to a carcass. So tragic, tragic thing. And the reason why it stuck out to me was the idea that this kid was a good student, no criminal record. He owned all his guns lawfully. I know other people would say, well, then if he didn't have the guns, then he wouldn't be able to. But we're talking about he was legally fine in there, whatever their set of rules were for him to own a gun but he still something made him go and do this i have not followed up on the story since the 21st to know what information's come out because usually after people react and they jump on a side it's nice to go back a couple days later and see what's been found out i'm guessing he had some sort of psychotic mental break maybe mk ultra sorry <laughs> that one struck me because of that the kid had no priors owned all his guns lawfully and it's just sad it's sad that that our society was there that's why i want to maybe try and do a follow-up for next show to see what i can find was there people in his life possibly that could see that there was an issue and that it needed to be addressed but then instead the way our society yeah. is now we insulate ourselves and don't actually yeah. step up and say hey brother you know do you need some help what's going on yeah he may not have committed any crimes. He may have done well enough in school. People are just too self-absorbed to notice that there's something off in the way he looked or he didn't have anybody in his life that he could share those things with. Again, in, in that situation, if you're lawfully armed, try to be aware. And when you see somebody doing that, do what you can. I struggle with these stories as I can, what would I do with a victim in that scenario? Would I run or would I go try and subdue the attacker? I've got family too that depends on me. So would putting myself at risk as a third person, that's, that's good stuff yeah, to think it's, about. Yeah, and I've I've been in one situation where I the day before I would have said, no, I wouldn't do X, Y, Z, and then the situation happens, adrenaline, fight, flight happens, make decisions that you wouldn't have thought the day before that you would make, and yeah. you make them. And I then also saw the other people making other decisions that they would have said the day before they wouldn't make, but they make them, and it could be either saving people, running away, and it's it's... It's not really right or wrong what you would do. It's just until you're there. I don't agree with this, but I totally understand it. My wife's grandfather, who was in the Korean War, he said, if you weren't there, your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> now, whole other rabbit hole. But but sort of. I mean, yeah. you weren't in the situation, so how, how yeah. can you say what you would have done or wouldn't have done? Right. It's easy to, what do they call, call that Monday morning uh, quarterbacking? Yeah. A person should have done this, they should have done that. You know, that's why we do this show, is to get people thinking about these different scenarios and how would you handle it? All right, anything else? No, I'm good. Okay. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Um, we need to come up with some sort of an outro. This is a Value for Value podcast. Help us to improve this community with feedback, topic suggestions, donations, or if you'd like to be a guest. Contact information is in the show notes. Thank you for listening.